Well, you know, again, we were just so blessed with, with good songs today. And this one I know was speaking about heaven. But when you think about the prodigal son this morning, and we're going to finish that up tonight. And you think about these words, celebrate. Of course, what was the three words you remember? Lost, found, celebrate. It's the overview of the gospel, okay? Every person's lost. God desires every person to be found. And it's done through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we celebrate. And that course said, celebrate me home, celebrate me there, celebrate me in that land of wonder. And pause, I know it's talking about heaven, but you know what? It's a wonderful land of grace. Think about that. You don't have to wait to heaven to experience the wonderful land. It's, it's here also, uh, where nothing can compare, nothing compares with grace. Uh, celebrate me in that place. Celebrate me saved by grace. Don't just sit and weep because I'm gone. Celebrate me home. And so, amen. Great song. Thank you, Robin, for sharing that. All right. Well, so go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Luke 15 um, and verse number 24, I believe it is. But we're not going to get there until a little bit later on. Now, by the way, in case you're wondering about business meeting, we're going to tag that on at the end, okay? So don't think I forgot about that. We have it. We want to go and have our worship time and sermon time. I really don't think, I mean, seriously, take like eight minutes. It should. Um, and so, so we'll tag that on at the end. But I want to come in. Like I said this morning, I really think um, you hear so many sermons on the prodigal son, but you don't hear too much spoken about the older son. And, and so I almost, I said this morning, you can't really teach the prodigal son without teaching about the older son because the teaching, again, is so applicable and so real. And so as I prepared to do this, I was studying and I was reading the commentaries. It caused me to, to, to change just a little bit what we're going to do. Now, it was very obvious this morning, I hope, and every time you've heard this story taught, it's obvious that the, the, um, the coin and the sheep and the son are representative of the sinners, okay? Whether it be the, the moralist, the person who would say, you know, I'm not a really bad sinner, I'm a sinner, but I'm not a really bad sinner. Or the person over here who would say, I'm the tax collector, I'm the worst of all sinners, God could never forgive me and love me and woe and surprise and land of wonder. Guess what? He can and he desires to and he will. So whatever, when you see those two this morning, when you see those three, the coin, the sheep, and the sons, it's representative of the sinners, okay? Now, the scribes and Pharisees, who started this mess by saying, you know, this man, not understanding that this man was God in the... Did you get the wonder of that? You know, they, they got worse than they thought. It was bad enough that a rabbi, teacher, would dare eat with sinners and welcome them if they fully understood that this was God in the flesh and that God... Now, now I'm going to say it again. That God in the flesh would eat and welcome sinners. Okay, you, you didn't say Amen. You gotta say amen. The fact that he would do that is amazing. I mean, to have a God that seeks after us and who loves us so much, that is simply just amazing. It's amazing. So, so they probably thought after the story, after the parable, okay, the first part there when the, when the younger boy comes home and gets right and stuff, they're going, yay, we escaped. You know, we, we totally missed that because he got the sinners and boy, they needed getting. And then he tells the story, Carrie, of the older son. And the older son, there's no doubt, as much as we are sure that these, these, the coin, the sheep, and the son, the first son, you know, represents the sinners, we are absolutely certain that the, the older son represents the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And there's, there's a huge teaching. And as I thought about this, I found myself totally going around a different way before we even get to the sun. Because I really think we need to understand um, about these scribes and these Pharisees. Now, as important... Now, first off, there were scribes and Pharisees who were saved. Okay? Who believed in Jesus. I.e., Paul. Paul was the biggest of the Pharisees, okay? A huge Pharisee, and young Damascus wrote him, he's Jesus and is radically changed, okay? So there were scribes and Pharisees who did understand who Jesus was, and they met Jesus Christ and understood that and were saved, okay? But the bulk, but the vast majority of scribes and Pharisees had no clue who Jesus was, nor did they care who Jesus was because they saw themselves as purely self-righteous. They didn't need a rescue. They didn't need redemption. And they didn't need a Savior. Okay? And that's a horrible condition to be in. Now, the, the thing I wanna, two things I want to start with is, first off, you know, I, I wrote... Here, let me read what I wrote. As important as their spiritual condition and potentially ours is... Okay, you need to understand it's a horrible condition to be lost and not even recognize that you're lost. In fact, if you're someone to ask you, or, you know, you're going to, yeah, I'm going to heaven. I've kept all them rules and I got it all down pat. And again, God just needs to go over his problem with sin because I'm not a sinner. I'm holy and righteous. Okay, that's a horrible place to be in. And it just scares the pants off me that every week I preach to people who may come into our doors week in and week out and really have no clue about God's amazing grace. Just you know, the, the Pharisees had a religion of outward actions. Okay? When you think Pharisees and scribes, you think outward actions. They they were they were convinced that their fasting and studying and praying and giving that they would earn God's blessing and then merit salvation. They had no, they knew nothing, they had no clue of God's amazing grace. And somehow, and I don't know how, somehow I am fearful that there are people who somehow slip into our churches and go to church and go to church week in and week out and somehow they, they think by their fasting, their studying, their praying and their giving that they earn God's blessings and somehow merit eternal life and they totally don't understand grace. Again, that was me for 21 years. I was convinced I could show God that you could be good enough. And it was a frightening place to be and I'm so grateful for October 26th when my pastor shared the story of a deacon who pulled off the road and got down in wet, dewy grass and lifted his hands and his face to God and said, God, I am a deacon, but I know today that I am lost and that if I don't be saved, if I don't become saved, if I don't trust Jesus, I will spend eternity in hell. And that testimony led me to be saved that day. And what a, so, so it's potentially harmful is, of that is, and it's horrible, and, and it's horrible that there might be people in our church who sit week in and week out and hear the message of God's grace somewhere stowed down their hearts. They still believe that they have to earn it, that their actions somehow by their attendance and by their offerings and by their giving, that somehow they earn God's merit. That's all frightening. But there's one more thing that's frightening. Is that we as believers may act like a Pharisee. I'm a believer, but I act like a Pharisee. We should never be a Pharisee, and we should never act like a Pharisee. We should believe and never act like a Pharisee, 
Okay? Because again, Pharisees are people who based everything that they were on self-righteousness. Their, their life was built on a house of cards of outward performance. Okay? And so consequently, as, as, as if, if a believer is acting like a Pharisee, so they, they act outwardly and, then everyone, and look down on everyone else who doesn't look as good as them. Okay, um, and the whole basis, I mean, as I started studying tonight, God just led me to different scriptures and through the commentaries and through, through search. And I, I want to spend just a bulk of time talking about scribes and Pharisees because, again, the religion was so outward based. Um, they, they were guilty of sin. It wasn't necess- And here's the dangerous part. You know, it wasn't necessary sins of the flesh as much as it was sins of the heart. Yeah, you know, I've, I've read the Bible through several times. But 2 Corinthians 7.1 says this. Paul writing. Remember, the, the, if Paul knew about outward religion, if anybody did, it was Paul. So then, in 2 Corinthians 7.1, So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh. So there's a place for physical holiness, practical holiness. Amen? You should believe that. A Christian has no place living like the world. There's a place for there's an important place for that. However, however, Paul goes on and says this. Um, let me back up. Let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit. And spirit. Paul is saying it's important that outwardly we live holy lives. But don't forget the heart. The heart is so important. He says, um, you know, cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit or the heart, bringing holiness to completion. When, when practical holiness is lived out, it involves, A, practical outward actions, but our heart being right. Our heart being right. You know, listen, God values the heart. If you can impress God, and you can't. Okay? If, if there was some way we could impress God, you do understand you cannot do that. Um, you know, he, we would say, okay, you know, I, I'm going to impress God with my, again, how often I go to church, how much money I give, um, I, how often I pray, and how well my prayers sound, all of that. If you wanted to impress God, and you can't, but if you wanted to, it would not be those kind of things. It would be your heart. It would be your heart. You remember back, back when, when God was choosing a king? Okay, and he's going to replace Saul. Okay, and he went to the house of Jesse, and he had all the sons parade, you know. And Eli- Eliab walked up, you know, and Eliab was tall and strong like Saul. He looked so kingly. Okay, and Samuel just said, "This has to be the one. This is the guy." And here's what God said. But the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not look at his appearance or his statue, because I have rejected him." Paul, you know, saw, or Samuel looked at, at, at you know, Eliab and saw king. And God did not see king. And here's the reason why. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So imagine the setup, okay? Here's the sinners and here's the tax collectors, both ends of the scale, okay? And here are the Pharisees. 
Here are these sinners who are, are reaching out you know, and embracing the gospel through, through, through Jesus Christ, being welcomed into his presence. And here's the Pharisees complaining and getting angry because they're saying, we don't need this Jesus. Their heart was getting right and their heart was staying wrong. And that is the problem with the older brother. His stinking heart was stinking. His stinking heart was stinking. Now, now again, I, I, I just started stumbling into these scriptures, and, and one I've read so many times, but it came alive tonight, okay? You know, Jesus gives this scathing rebuke of the Pharisees, and, or, put this way, Jesus gave a scathing, scathing rebuke of those who, who do the flesh and not the heart. The flesh and not the heart. That's what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Now, can you imagine, Marcia, can, can you imagine washing dishes and inside is something that stayed in the refrigerator way too long? Okay, there's things growing and it's gross. So you get your dish rag and you wipe real pretty and shiny the outside of the cup. Then you put that in the cupboard ready for use. Does that make any sense whatsoever? No, it does not. And Jesus is saying, you scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you make, oh, you polish up the outside. You polish the outside up so nice and clean, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup. Now watch, there's a great truth coming up. First clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Here's the big truth. Are you ready? Big picture. Get the heart right and the outside will take care of itself. Get the heart right. And see, what we try to do is we try to get the outside right and change the heart. Only God can change the heart. And when God changes your heart and you live that way, the outside follows suit. How cool is that? He wasn't done. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, okay, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside they're full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. You know, I, may, I, I love going by, you know, the, especially the cemetery going into Marion there on the right-hand side, you know, right there. And there, there's a collection of, is it mausoleums? It's where they put dead people. And a couple of them are really pretty. But guess what's inside? Dead people. Dead people. Dead man's bones. And that's what Jesus is saying. You've got the outside. You build this wonderful mausoleum, okay? Whitewashed tombs. They appear beautiful on the outside. But inside, they're full of the bones of the dead. Every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people. But inside, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And remember, God sees the heart. So, while we should not neglect the outside, I think we would be wise, Kathy, to put the emphasis on the inside. We should not neglect the outside, but we should put proper emphasis 
on the inside. Now, let me give you again a classic scripture that shows the signs of a good heart, okay? It's so simple. We make the gospel hard. We make living the gospel hard, okay? God doesn't. Now, this is one of several several times this appears in the gospel writings. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, Luke chapter 10, 25, very familiar. So an expert in the law uh, stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay? And then, <coughs> excuse me, what is, what is written in the law? He asked him, Jesus asked him, how do you read it? And the man responded and said these things. Love the Lord your God, this is verse 27 of Luke chapter 10. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. So a, the sign of a healthy heart spiritually is you love God and you love people. Now, I'm going I'm to let you know something really, really big. Are you ready? You know, if I were to say, how many of us love God across this room, virtually every hand would go up. I know it. I know it would. Here's the deal. How do you love people? Because I'm prepared to stand before you as your pastor and as your teacher tonight and tell you this. If you don't love people, you don't love God. I don't know what you do, but you don't love God. Because a person who loves God loves people. Yeah, yeah, see, 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 that, that's right. See, no, 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 Dwayne, I love God. See, I go to church, and I, yeah, you do the outward things. Awesome, great. But what are you doing on the inside? Because it takes a heart that's right to love people that aren't very lovable. Love God to love people. Love God to love people. It's the great commandment. Now, now again, we're, we're going somewhere with this. And I want you once again to see the problem with the Pharisees. See, they saw themselves as not needing a Savior. And the reason they said, I don't need a Savior, is because of their outward part, not the inward part. They were self-righteous. So they were self-medicated themselves into oblivion. And the perfect scripture for that is Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Now, let me read this to you. Again, you know it. So he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, who thought outward was better than heart, who, who outside was trumped, okay? Outside heart did not trump the outside, okay? Who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. So two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a... Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. So you've got the, you've got the, you've got the religious moralist to the extreme. Okay, I am self righteous. What is God's problem? Get over it, God. I'm good. Okay, and you've got the tax collector, who, by any measure in the Bible anyway, would be the worst sinner in town. That's the two people who show up for church. <laughs> yeah. So two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm glad I'm skinny. I'm not fat like that person. I'm glad I've got everything under control. I know he has a drinking problem. I don't have a drinking problem. Oh, those piercings? What is up with piercings? God, you don't see holes in my body. I'm, uh, I'm self-holy. What? I'm not that. Oh, all the tats, Lord? What's up with the tats? I'm glad I'm not like other people. You know, greedy and unrighteous and adulterers. Or, well, matter of fact, like this tax collector. 
And then he starts telling how good he is. I fast twice a week. I, by the way, fast twice a day. I want you to know that. I go usually between breakfast and lunch and between lunch and supper. I fast twice a day. I give a tenth of everything I get. And then, but the tax collector is standing afar off, would not even raise his eyes uh, to heaven and kept striking his chest. And that's just a sign of great contrition, uh, okay? Striking his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So you've got a guy over here praying to him, about himself and to himself, saying, look how good I am. I'm not like other people. Look how good I am. Righteous, 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 self-righteous, self-righteous, self-righteous. And you've got a guy over here wanting to lift his eyes to heaven. Smoting his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So what does Jesus say? Well, he says, I tell you, um, this one, this guy who was smiting his chest, went down to his house justified rather than the other. So it wasn't the guy who's going, look how good I am, God, boy. It was the guy who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because everyone who exalts himself, Mr. Scribes and Pharisees that Jesus is talking about. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself, God will exalt. Will exalt. So you see how dangerous this Pharisee thing is? We've got to be careful. You know, we are never more like Jesus than when we humbly love others and love God. That's a good place for an amen. You guys are going to Spain? That's your secret to Spain. You've got to love those people. And boy, it sounds like it's going to be a difficult field. It sounds like it's be a hard field. Love God. Love people. So enter now, finally, in my last three or four or five minutes, the older son. Okay? Now, I want you to notice this. Now, the older son, in verse, now we're at Luke 15, 25. Luke 15, 25. Now, his older son, the father's older son, was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and Dancing. Okay, just two quick things here. Notice what he was not doing. Okay, every day, as far as we know from the parable that Jesus taught, remember a parable is a story that Jesus made up to make a point. Okay, so in this parable, apparently every day the father did something. What was it? He looked. Apparently every day he would go out to the edge of the property, maybe beyond the edge of the property, and he would look. And he was looking for one thing. He was looking for the shape, the form of his younger son to come home. He was looking. Okay. Now, what is this guy doing? What is he doing? Um, do you see the lack of concern there? As far as we know, he's not watching. He's not praying. He's not fasting. He is not even posted on Facebook. Okay? He's not even posted on Facebook. You know what he's doing? He's doing life. It's his life. Going out, serve God. That's what I'm going to do. Going to go to church. Going to serve God. Yep. Going to show him how righteous I am. Didn't matter his brother's lost. Didn't matter his brother's disappeared off the screen. He's just going to do life. And that meant somehow thinking, hey, God, look at me. And it's kind of funny, because I think there really is something here, because it says, when he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, you're going to have to trust me on one thing, okay? Music and dancing was not part of his gig. You would not see this older brother up there going, y'all didn't know, I'd see, I could do I don't have a rhythm. Shoot that thing. 
You don't, this was not part of his deal. And you know what's sad? Usually, obviously Pharisees, but listen, 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 listen. If you find yourself having a bent toward that stuff, okay, you're going to find out that you find it more and more difficult to celebrate. There's more things to be sad about and down about than there is to celebrate. And be careful you're on the wrong path. Because our God is a celebration God. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Our God is a celebration God. Okay? So beware. So, so he comes in from the field doing his thing, whatever he did every day, and he hears this music. And so he's going to fix it fired up in verse 26. So he summons one of the servants, questioning what these things mean. Hey, what's up with the music and what's up with the dancing? Okay? <laughs> Your brother is here. Now, of all the things he wanted to hear that day, that was not on the list. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf. Here's why. Because he has him back safe and sound. Now, so, so what he says is, swats up to the music and the dancing. Um, well, here's the deal. Your, son, your, your brother is back home, and the father has killed the fatted calf. Because have you ever heard this thing called Lost, Found, Celebrate? Well, your brother was lost, and now he's found, and woohoo! there's a celebration going on. How did the older brother react? Not well. In fact, it says in verse 28, he became angry. Now, I'm telling you guys, this is too much in the church of the Western culture today. There is not enough celebration when someone is lost, found, and we don't celebrate. I'm telling you, if, if we as believers in Jesus Christ don't have something to celebrate, something's wrong. I mean, we are... Saved. We are redeemed. We are blood bought. We are not going to hell. We are going to heaven. We have a God who loves us intently and greatly, who will never turn his back. He leads us in songs all the time. He'll never run out on us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And we get the privilege and the honor of sharing that great news with others and seeing them come into the same grace that we experience and we get to celebrate with them and for them. If anyone ought to be a celebratory group, it ought to be us. It ought to be us. We know there's a problem because he's angry. It's the father, the father got glad, and the son, other son got mad. And when God's glad and you're mad, it's a problem. We don't have time. In fact, we really don't have time. Um, I was going to go to Jonah, and you know, Jonah. And God was all going, yeah, they repented, yay. And Jonah was all mad about it. That's always, when you're crossways with God and God's happy and you're not, that's a real warning sign. Can I have an amen on that? So, so just be aware of that. Just be aware of that. Okay? Be aware of that. So anyway, so what happens is, so he didn't go inside. Okay, he's going to stay outside and pout. And so his father came out and pleaded with him. Now, I find this very interesting, okay? The father condescends you know, to the younger son and looked for him. And when he shows up, he embraces him and loves him and puts the robe and the shoes and the ring. He, the father condescends to him, okay? And now that very same father comes outside and does the same thing for the older brother. 
he comes outside and begs him to come to the party. Son, come join the party. Come join the party. And the same father that looked for one went looking for the other. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Even the, even, you know, even the ones who thought they were so self-righteous, the father went looking for. Aren't you glad he didn't give up on people? Aren't you glad he didn't give up on people? Aren't you glad he didn't give up on you? Amazing. So, in verse 29, he replies to the Father, and just you can, you can hear the self-righteousness oozing out of this older, older son. He replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you. Doesn't that sound joyful? Doesn't that, call, doesn't that sound like a reason to cause to celebrate? I've been slaving for you for years. You don't have that attitude about God, do you? Right, get up, honey. Get dressed. We've got to go to church again. Got to write the tie check again. Nominated committee called. Got to serve again. I've been slaving for you for years. I've never disobeyed your orders. I would question that just on principle. Yet you never gave me a goat. So that I could celebrate with my friends. Can I just pause for a minute? Because some of you are here tonight and you're going, God doesn't give me like He gave them. Why do they get I don't get? Can I remind you of something? There was a day and this younger brother, you know, shows up to daddy and says, I want my part of the estate now. So by Jewish customs, the father says, okay. But by Jewish custom, he says, okay, here is your third. Your third. Now, wait, wait, wait. How many sons are there? Two. Two. So if the younger son gets a third, how much did the older son get? Two-thirds. Two-thirds. And three-thirds makes a... Oh, so the father gave away his entire estate and the older son got two-thirds. No, guess what? He didn't get a goat. He got the entire estate. Will you quit whining to God that you don't have enough? He has saved you from hell. That's enough. That's enough. Excuse me for hollering. But when this son, <laughs> you know, it's funny, we're all in the lifeboat. When God decides to bring another in, there ain't no room for you. We don't let your kind in our lifeboat. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. You decided to throw a party. And the father says, that's exactly right, son. He said, look, you're always with me. You've been here. Everything I have is yours. Literally, literally. But we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and rejoice. Now, now watch this. Watch, watch, watch. Because this brother of yours. Now, do you see what he said down here in verse 30? The older son says, this son of yours. 
And the father throws it back in his lap and says, no, 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 this brother of yours was dead. Now he's alive. Again, he was lost, and now he's found. And that's how the story ends. No resolution. No resolution. God, Jesus just ends the story. Boom. Just like that. We don't know what happened. And maybe that's good because it leaves us where we need to be. Deciding what's going to happen in our lives. What's going to happen in our lives? Let me close with one thought. I got this from Warren Wiersbe's commentary and I thought it was really good. Everyone in this story experienced joy but the older brother. Everyone experienced joy but the older brother. The coin was found. The woman celebrated. The sheep was found. The shepherd celebrated. They brought their friends in. They all celebrated. The younger son, when he was welcomed back, celebrated and rejoiced. And the father rejoiced. The only one left outside the party was the person that was self-righteous who didn't either have grace or understand grace and determined not to have joy. Please don't be left outside the door. Come on into the party. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of sharing this today. And oh, I pray it will burn in my heart. I pray that you will burn it in my heart. Father, we got so much to be happy about. So much to celebrate. So much to be joyful about. Father, help us to do that. Father, when that legalistic bent comes in, when, when somehow we figure out that we somehow think we may have earned a portion of what you've given us as far as you, your blessing and your salvation, oh, may it be destroyed. May it be, when Satan comes and tempts us, and, and causes us to want to believe that somehow we've earned it. May it be destroyed. And may we bask and celebrate your amazing grace in our lives forever. And every time, every time, every time a person comes into the family, remind us to celebrate. For that which was lost is found, and that which was dead is now. In Jesus, we pray in your precious name. Amen and amen. We're going to sing a song.